What's up, guys? Welcome to the Be Fast Podcast Q&A episode. Um, right next to me, I got Christian Larson. Hey, Carson. Good to be back on the show. That's I'm right. Pumped. I'm pumped. Yeah, no, this should be a fun one. Um, Christian's going to be my co-host, and I think we might officially make him a co-host to the podcast. I'd feel very privileged if I got to be the co-host, even if it's just for today, but if I get to be a, like a regular that would be awesome. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm leaving Manhattan soon, so we'll have to we'll have to squeeze you in as much as we can. Thank you very much. But I'll be in Kansas City. Like I'm over there a lot. Oh, so you can just stop by. I, I should have a studio in my new place. Okay, the well, Carson and Christian studio. That's right. CNC. Yeah. Ooh, CNC. <laughs> we'll have to start a new podcast right. and call it that. <laughs> Too late to to rename this one. Um, but yeah, I thought, hey, you know, I need a guy that's smarter than me on the podcast and I couldn't think of anybody. So then I picked Christian. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if I can live up to those expectations, but I'm going to give it my best. No, I, I think this is going to be a really fun one. I was starting to get some questions rolling in and I said, who should I have on the podcast with me? And I thought through some people and I was like, Christian would be awesome to have and uh, talk through these questions. So let me give everyone who's listening a quick breakdown um, of how this is going to work. So I put, Ask me anything on Instagram a couple different times, and I got some questions that rolled in. And I didn't look at them. I didn't really think about them. I got a couple that I like pondered a little bit because they weren't like uh, normal. But um, yeah, it should be good. We haven't looked at the questions. We haven't thought about them. So we're just gonna give you, boom, right off the dome, what we're thinking. So let's start. Are you ready? Yes, I'm going to do my best. These are hard because it's like a test that you haven't studied for. Right. But hopefully you can recall the information you need to recall or you're just, you know, quote unquote smart and you know those things. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Well, and, and I, we want to just be real. We want to be right. ourselves. We're not trying to be uh, anything that we're not. So cool. Let's, let's get in the first question. First question from Nathan. Would love to hear your thoughts regarding high school students choosing between Division One. Or division two. Okay, so yeah. this is a cool question for me. I ran with Nathan uh, at uh, Truman State, mm-hmm. so shout out Truman State. Shout yeah, out big time. And uh, I ran. That was a division two school, and then I ran division one. So yeah, I was going to say, you're, this is a perfect question for you. Yeah, and I want to hear your thoughts as well. Sure. Um, so to me, and I've had this discussion with people before. It's all about, and we were actually talking about this earlier, Christian. There's, there's a lot of things that play into it for me, but go as a student athlete, I feel like you should go where you want to be wanted or where you're wanted. Mm-hmm. If you are getting a feeling from a coach that, uh, I don't know if they really, really want me there or if they're just like, oh, well, you can join if you want type of thing. Mm-hmm. You're, it's going to be, you're not going to get as much, you're not going to be served as much by that coach, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went to Truman, I feel like they wanted me there, mm-hmm. and I got um, treated great. And I mean, I was fastest guy on the team, so I mean, you're that helps. Get, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> man, I used to be so cocky because I would like see football players on campus and be like, uh, "Yeah, race me whenever you want." Like, yep. <laughs> be talking trash. <laughs> but yeah, like that's a big part of it. Is if you're gonna go D two or D one, mm-hmm. think about okay, does this school, regardless of division, mm-hmm. do they want me there? Mm-hmm. Does the coach want me? Is a coach like gonna help me out? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is like, what experience do you want? You know, are you do you want to be a student athlete, mm-hmm. 
um, because at a Division two school, most of the time, uh, academics are a little bit more emphasized mm-hmm. or like, okay, you have class, well, then you can skip, like, do practice on your own today. Like, yeah. I, I ran into that several times. Or you have a lab, um, mm-hmm. whatever. But when it comes to D1, you're still a student athlete, but it's that that portion of your life, if it's like a pie chart, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a smaller wedge. Mm-hmm. And being an athlete takes up more of your time. There's a lot more resources, a lot more money in the Division One. So if you want to get all the gear, all the stuff, everybody wants that, right? <laughs> oh yeah. I got more. I got more gear one year at Kansas State. Oh yeah. Being a student athlete, than four years at a Division Two school. So if you want all the gear, go D one. <laughs> and it's not even just D one. It's the where you are in D one. So yeah. we have a family friend, and I'm gonna let you finish out. But just to to back up your story. Yeah, go ahead. We have a family friend who played uh, at basketball at Drake. Okay. And uh, she was conference player of the year. Not a power Incredible. five. Not a power five. Drake's in Des Moines. Uh, but it's a, it's a Valley? Missouri Valley. Yeah. Missouri Valley. D1 school. Okay. Um, and incredible basketball player. Uh, That's and a pretty big academic school, too. Yeah. Yeah. And she's yeah. very smart. Yeah. Um, so uh, she's actually going to be coaching my youngest this summer. So we're very excited about that. So That's big time. Family friend. Um, she went to Drake. Uh, and then her senior year, she was able to transfer to Nebraska. She had an opportunity to play at Nebraska. And the reason I know this is the case is because at Nebraska, she got many, many, many pairs of shoes. Nice. And she literally brought a, uh, a laundry basket of shoes to give to my oldest daughter. Uh, one time when we met in Kansas City for for dinner, that's she awesome. Hauled a pair, yeah. and these were all from Nebraska from one year. She only played there one year, wow. and she literally probably had fifteen pairs of Adidas, big time like Derrick Rose shoes. Nice. So, and like as a basketball player, uh-huh. like you loved shoes. Oh yeah. Like I don't. I've never <laughs> met a basketball player who's not like, dude. I I once you had these uh, Lebrons, or I once had these. Uh, Kobe's and all this stuff. So. Jaws in a little trouble right now, but Jaws uh, first pair of shoes coming out. My youngest loves Jaw Morant, so she's yeah. going to be getting a pair of Jaws. That's, so that's, that's how it goes. There, oh, she's always looking for. She's got a pair of Mellows. She loves the Mellows. There you go. So to finish this question, yes, the last part that goes into choosing Division One or Division Two is how competitive do you want to be? I went and I competed in the GLVC. It's a Division Two conference, and I could be really competitive in that conference. I I scored every conference meet you know i was in the finals and in every conference meet i had a chance at being the conference champ uh by my senior year and that was an awesome experience Mm -hmm. i would never do that in the big 12 (laughs) (laughs) and i I, I had opportunity i did score and i ran the four by one for k-state right and i uh got points for the team in the big 12 awesome experience but i was on a relay right i couldn't do it on my own the open one was not a not, not, I wasn't even close. Yeah. I didn't even run into me. I could have, I right. think, if I would have twisted Coach's arm a little bit. Sure. Because I ran well my year at K-State. But, uh, so there, there's things, do you, does the coach want you there? Mm-hmm. Are you going to like the area? Are you going to like the resources that are available to you? And are you going to be as competitive as you want to be? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I would say when it comes to choosing any school, but Division right. One and Division Two. you have anything to add to that? I. Uh, it's a different day and age. So you're a lot younger than me. So when I was, when just I was making years. this decision, yeah, just a couple, two or three, um, when I was making this decision and it was probably partially also my ego that got in the way, but I played basketball, baseball, football, and, uh, baseball and basketball, I was better at and had opportunities in both of those with junior colleges and 
and um, some smaller schools reaching out to me. But I, my mindset was if I can't play what I considered at the top level, I just wasn't going to play. Mm. Um, yeah. That might not be the case now because things have changed a lot, but that was my thought process. So um, I wanted the experience of a big school, so I came to K-State, and I actually walked on. Back then they had what amounted to a junior college team because they had a JV squad as well. Mm. And so I walked on and played that, um, and we played you know junior colleges uh, from around here, and I was part of the organ or the program. But um, you know I joke about it. I say I practiced a lot, which I did. Yeah. Uh, but if, if we're talking about now, which I, I totally understand this question, my oldest is – she hasn't had any Division One offers. Mm. She likely could walk on uh, to a track team and yeah. try to make it. A bit. And you, Carson, you kind of know her numbers. She's not there yet, but she's not far, especially on long jump. Yeah, like she she could get into the mid eighteens, I think, pretty easily, um, and that would put her at a Division One level. Yeah, some some range of a Division One level. Yeah, she's good. Um, but that's, I think that experience isn't what she's looking for. So she's more looking at D2 level to play basketball. Right, right. But even hers is narrowed down. It's not any D2. But I agree with everything you said. Uh, it's got to be the right fit. It's got to be the right culture for the team. Uh, you have to understand what you're going to be doing going in. Um, there are, with the portal now, there are a ton, there's a ton of change. There's a ton of change between D2, D1 now. Yeah. So where the place she's looking at going to play basketball potentially has two former Division One players on that team because they weren't getting the minutes they wanted at the Division One so level. Transferred. So they transferred to a and they're a top ten Division Two school. Yeah. And I think you see vice versa as well. You see players who are dominating at the D two level. Mm -hmm. Coaches are like, hey, we've got we got a spot for you, right? Yeah. So um, the good thing I think now is. Let's say you don't you make a choice that you aren't happy with. You're yeah. still going to have some flexibility. Right. Um, that hasn't always been the case. So basically, I just defer to your answer. I totally agree with all that. I agree with your perspective as well. It's a neat perspective. Being a dad mm -hmm. of a prospective uh, college athlete. Okay. Wait, we forgot about academics. Make sure they have the academics you want. Right. Um, a very minuscule percentage of people, especially if you're trying to decide between D2 and D1, you're unlikely to play your sport for money. Um you know, I guess in basketball you play in Europe or in, and things like that. There's a little more opportunity on the female side, unlikely. Yeah. So the big thing that we talk about with with our girls is, what do you want to, what do you want your academics to look like, and make sure, no matter where you decide, that's going to be a positive. Right. Student athlete rings true. Mm -hmm. Student comes before athlete. Yep. So make sure that they have the, uh, the academics that you want to study. Absolutely. This one, I like this question. It's from Luke. What is the best way to ease an athlete back into sprint training? Ease an ex-athlete, excuse me, back into sprint training. There's a little backstory to this. Luke is a classmate of mine, uh -huh. uh, student of uh, Christians, and uh, he got really into sprint training because we were in class last fall, and I might have inspired him a little bit. But cause I, I think you did. I think I, you inspired I, him. I kept twisting his arm and be like, man, you should you know, add some sprints to your training, all this stuff. Because he's explosive. He had a good vertical jump. Really explosive. Um, and he could uh, his pro agility was solid yeah, as well. well. So he's an explosive Without guy. doing speed work. Right. He's just, just absolute, absolutely strong. Right. So Or relatively strong. Mm -hmm. His absolute strength is really high. So – he pulls his hamstring over winter break. He texts me. He's like, hey, I was doing this sprint workout, and I pulled my hamstring, all this stuff. 
So I think, yeah, it worried him a little bit. I gave him a protocol to, mm-hmm. to try to get that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so when it comes to just getting into sprint training in general, you got to be careful, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's some basics to you, – you're going to be moving and contracting your muscles very quick, as mm-hmm. fast as you can. And if you've just been um, weightlifting, like in his case, then – you gotta you gotta really ease into it, and that's at the micro level and the macro level. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, and and I'm not gonna talk as long on this question before you talk, but make sure you're warming up really well, and have sprints in your warm up to where okay, I'm feeling myself accelerate mm-hmm. at sixty percent. I'm only gonna accelerate up to sixty percent. Um. Now I'm going to accelerate to 70%, 80%, and being patient in that mm-hmm. and, and keeping it short, like 20 meters. You know, a, a lot of times when I do a, sprint, a speed workout with somebody, the first day is all, okay, well, we're going to go no farther than 10 meters. You know, because you, if you can't sprint 10 meters, then you can't sprint well 20 <laughs> meters, and you can't sprint well 30, you know, and, and that's not true in all cases. But e- easing into it, by having long warm-ups and your workout could be just a really long warm-up of drills and accelerations to where your each rep is at a higher percentage but at the big larger level increasing your volume from really small smaller than you think start small because you're still going to get some good work in Mm -hmm. and then increase the length of your rep um, from there that's what i would say yeah what do you got to say christian yeah and if we kind of attack this from a tissue perspective uh with in loose case i know he's doing a lot of strength training he's a strong guy yeah mostly slow strength meaning that squat deadlift yeah rdl uh not a not a ton of explosive strength his muscles aren't used to that contraction velocity they're not they're not used to that velocity and so that not only is the muscle not used to that velocity but the connective tissue is not used to that velocity so that connective tissue is going to stretch a lot faster Mm-hmm. then it's used to stretching um, with each step. And not only that, it's going to have that high velo- high rate of contraction. So it's just not ready. Yeah. Um, even though it's been, you've been first energy pathway training it, right? So first energy pathway, if you're over 85% and you're doing strength work, that's a first energy pathway neurological adaptation. Yeah. But it's a different neurological adaptation that you need with speed. Yeah. And you're going to throw, I would throw speed and explosiveness either lateral or vertical i'm sorry horizontal or vertical jumping or a multi-directional change of direction right yeah. so any of those things that you're doing really really fast you need to ease into because those tissues just aren't used to it they're not ready they even if you warm up really well they're they still haven't done that right yeah. so i'm i'm totally with you you got to ease into it really feel what those tissues feel like the next day or, or the day after that so Delayed onset muscle soreness, 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. Like you said, even if you go do less than you think you should be doing or you feel good while you're doing it, you need to go into that initial session with a cutoff, not I'll just go as I feel. That's a bad idea in my opinion. Yeah. You need to give yourself hard limits and then see how you feel the next day and the day after and then be smart about how you progress. Yeah. Speed grows like a tree. So you can't just do 40s once a week and then think you're going to be good in uh, a couple months. Uh-huh. You know, people train 
I mean, I trained four years to take four tenths off of my hunter time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So be patient. Speed doesn't just happen mm-hmm. when you do a couple sprints. It takes a long time to develop it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go off your point of like getting the tissues ready, mm-hmm. you know, you can add in like hop series mm-hmm. and like, you know, some low level hops or, mm-hmm. you know, hopping upstairs mm-hmm. or um, just some low level plyometrics of any kind mm-hmm. will kind of get your tissues ready. And you can do that in the warm up, and, and, and even like skipping and uh, a skips, B skips, all those drills. Those are a form of extensive mm-hmm. plyometric that can prepare your tissues for sprinting anyways. Right. So doing those maybe as workouts before you're like, okay, at the end of this month, I want to start sprinting. So maybe I'm going to start adding these workouts in now mm-hmm. so I can get ready for that point. Yeah, there's no reason you can't add those into your strength workout days. Totally. You just add yeah. them in as part of uh, your warm-up, or you add them in in between movements. Yeah. It's not going to take away from your training. If you are no. if you have a, enough of a rest period in between, you're not going to fatigue from that, but your body is going to start adapting and then by the time you get to the point where you do want to do start doing more sprint work and things like that, you're going to have a base that you can build from. Right. So I think we answered that question pretty I well. I hope so. Luke, I hope you're listening because <laughs> that's for you, Luke. <laughs> Walmart far- Farms. I'm sh- Shout out to Walmart Farms. If you guys like uh, wine, you need to look that up. Luke's family owns a winery. They a vineyard. do. Yep. So check that out. Walmart Farms. Absolutely. There you go. Luke's a good guy. Smart too. Very Okay, here's a, here's a cool one. This one's from my buddy Scott. I, I've coached with him before. He's up at Northern State right now. He's a GA strength coach. He asks, your approach to marrying the speed development stimulus with the weight room. Okay? Why don't you go first on this one, Christian? Okay, that sounds good because I think you're going to have more expertise in this area because I am not a sprinter. So my background with coaching and doing things as field and court sports. So my, I, I train, I do a lot of stuff with my daughters. I've got a daughter who is uh, a court field athlete in soccer and basketball. And I have a daughter who is a track athlete, long jumper, sprinter and basketball. So most of the training I do with them is very much centered around agility, quickness, not a lot of long distance sprinting because that doesn't really happen. It happens a little bit in soccer, but even there it's change of direction, those kind of things. So how do we marry those things? It's going to be similar, but I'm going to defer to Carson as an expert on this. Energy expert pathway training. Expert yeah. Expert in the room. room. <laughs> um, expert in the room. Yeah. There's people out there who, you know, that, that are going to, they've spent their life doing this and, and they coach Olympians and all that good stuff. But um, basically energy pathway similarities, meaning that slow speed strength builds a base for high velocity speed. Can you do those in the same session? Yes. Do people usually? Probably not. Um, Generally, you see a progression uh, of however the the whatever phase that athlete is in it mm-hmm. might be a base strength phase followed by a speed strength phase followed by a top end speed phase those might last you know three to four weeks a piece or maybe your top end speed is shorter because you're going to hold top end speed shorter but i don't know if this exactly answers the question but you you understand the underlying qualities that you're trying to develop in the athlete 
which is relative strength for a sprinter. Mm-hmm. You want, they want, we want as much strength for as little body mass as possible. Yep. So not as much hypertrophy work. I would say, I would say more 85% plus lower repetition, higher rest periods to build a strength stimulus. Then moving into, or in conjunction with some higher speed loaded movements, uh, that might be a clean with a barbell. It might be a snatch snatch is pretty, uh, it's a great lift, but it's, it's hard a, to execute. It's hard it's to execute. So it's hard. hard to teach. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you, most people aren't going to have a snatch in there, but a hang clean is a lot easier to teach and it builds an explosive strength of the hips with a load. Yeah. Then you get into more loaded strength and then, or I'm sorry, less loaded speed. So slow strength, faster strength, more speed. And then obviously you want to get into unilateral versus bilateral as you move closer to trying to help that athlete achieve top end speed. That's how I would marry them together. Okay. I like that answer. Thank you. But let's hear the. Okay. So I I think I'm going to attack this from a different uh, perspective. Okay. Um, Different. Yeah. Different perspective, different mind, shorter mind. I'm only five five. <laughs> <laughs> I am five eleven and a half, and that's with no hair. That's true. Yeah, baldy. Okay, so um, when I think about speed stimulus, the greatest speed stimulus that you can ever achieve is sprinting and jumping. All right, that's the we talked about contraction velocities earlier with the mm-hmm. muscle tissues. The fastest you can achieve in that is sprinting and jumping. Right. So marrying that with the um, the weight room, I'm gonna do my best on this. So, well, I'm gonna do the best in the room. Yeah, the in the room, in the room you are. You I'm are the expert, expert in, the in the room. So if you think about your different days that you would do for speed work, you have an acceleration day, right? What kind of action is that, Christian? Is it constant? It's a highly concentric action. Correct. Right. Yeah. Very concentric. You're going from a static position Mm -hmm. and you're trying to gain as much momentum as you can. Right. So I would pair if I was going to do an acceleration session. Right. And I want to marry a weight room movement with that. I'm going to marry power cleans with that. Okay. Right. Because I'm going from the floor. It's pretty much all concentric Mm -hmm. or squat, back squat, front squat. That's what I would do if I'm going to marry a session. I'm going to I'm kind of get really specific yeah let's clarify here so this is we're talking about one individual training session that may last an hour two hours yeah okay right so So this is an acute stimulus one session one session i'm gonna talk broad kind of phases of Mm -hmm. so yep this is great yeah you talked broadly i'm gonna get specific and i might go back and touch broadly here in a second so if i'm gonna do if i'm gonna do a max velocity day so i'm sprinting as fast as i can i'm gonna do a movement where i'm getting rapid hip extension right and this is just like a normal training day and i'm going to do a hang clean okay right something reactive uh or a clean pull off blocks okay right so maybe i don't have the technique to do a a clean full clean but i'm pulling and i'm like rapidly extending as fast as i can i can load it up because it's on blocks i'm not coming from the floor a lot of weight moving it quick stuff like that Mm -hmm. maybe even some um some reactive um, squats, like um, super dynamic, super fast. Okay. Um, so think about, okay, 
what did I do on the track? It's very concentric, like acceleration. I'll add a very concentric lift or Mary in the terms of the question. Right. I did something really reactive on the track. Max velocity sprinting. I'm going to try to do something reactive and pair those up. That's okay. like thematic training. That's sure. a very um, basic principle in training theory. Absolutely. So when I think on the larger scope of things, if I'm thinking about a season, a season of track, I'm going to start with a higher lifting volume, and I'm going to um, taper that as the year goes on. So if I start lifting four days a week in the fall, by the time we get to May, lifting two or three times a week, mm-hmm. all right, and the sh- sessions will get shorter. And if I'm thinking about intensity, the intensity is going to get ramped up, mm-hmm. okay? So just in, with any lifting for any athletic development, power development, strength development in general, your volume is going to go down. Your intensity is going to go up. Like Christian was talking about earlier, lifting over 85%. He's talking about intensity. Right. So the intensity of the weight, the, the load is going to be high. I'm going to be moving it. I, I mean, if I'm lifting over 85%, I can't do 10 reps. You right. Know? Like that's going to be extremely hard. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be doing that for three reps at a time to keep that, that speed of the bar going quick. Okay. Right. So I think about or intent of speed, right? I think the research yeah. shows that even if the the absolute bar velocity is not high, the intent to move that load quickly um, is helpful with maintaining rate of force development. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the main thing is what are you trying to achieve with the weight room? You're not trying to sprint in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Don't ever try to sprint in the weight room. People try to be like, you know, if if you move the bar this fast or this fast, like. There's a huge difference there. And and to me, you know, I think velocity-based training has a lot of uh, merit to it, and mm-hmm. it's very good to be like, oh, Christian, you're lifting at this – you're lifting this weight at this speed, and last week you were lifting at this speed. Your girlfriend just broke up with you, so, like, you're down the dumps, so why don't we take some weight off so we're getting the uh-huh. right intent out of it. That's velocity-based training, right. like, working really good. If you're trying to replicate sprinting in the weight room, you never will. Mm-hmm. Here's one thing that I really, really believe in recently. I'm training max speed on the track. What's the farthest thing from that? Max strength. Mm -hmm. So if you are just a recreational guy trying to get fast, train for max strength in the weight room and train for max speed on the track. And you're going to fill up the opposite ends of the spectrum, the force velocity curve on both ends of it, and you you will be all right. Mm-hmm. So talk about really quick. Christian's a master at this. How do you get stronger? What's Pavel say? Five by five. Five by five. five right? Yeah. And right. The, yeah. Five by f- five. Pavel's uh, famous saying. That's uh, Pavel Satsulin. For those of you who don't know who we're talking about, this is kind of an ongoing joke because uh, I, I I like to talk <laughs> about Pavel. Um, yeah. He he says five by five builds the best meat. Right. So you get a combination of hypertrophy and strength. Yeah. Right. So it, I, I I mean. Do five by five, then three by five, then three by three, five mm-hmm. by three, taper down. Exactly. A- as the weeks go. Because five by five is brutal. If you do five by five across, oh, uh, meaning you're doing the same load for five sets of five, it will it will take it out of you. So especially you, the older you get, the younger athletes that I've worked with have been able to handle that and still move forward. Um, if you're working with a little bit older athletes, that five by five becomes it will it's a wrecking ball. <laughs> when I was eighteen or twenty. Five by five was easy money. I was like, oh, five by five, great today. Mm-hmm. But like my last year track, 
I saw five by five and I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that, like, that's the truth. Um, but yeah, I love that tapering idea because you're maintaining yeah. that strength stimulus um, and that relative strength, but you're main in you're at it, hopefully adding speed because your total volume is going down. So your fatigue from the weight room drops and your ability to put more energy into the sprint goes up. Yeah. And another way that you can look at the weight room is try to recruit like, so jump science. I've talked to you about jump science before. He's a guy I love. I follow him on Instagram. Like I love all this stuff Mm -hmm. in one of his programs he's got, or in his program, he's got a day where he, you lift, you have 10 sets of one, uh, deadlift and the deadlift has to be at like 90 plus percent. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to recruit as many more, your highest threshold motor units Mm -hmm. that you can, right? Your biggest, strongest motor units. So there's a merit there. Like when you're trying to be as fast as you can or trying to increase your speed, lift heavy things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When life gives you lemons, deadlift the world right right <laughs> <laughs> yeah max motor unit recruitment yeah that, that all plays into mm-hmm. it goes into our next question any other thoughts on that christian uh those two ends of the spectrum that you talked about uh i really like how that i like that uh visual uh yeah. because we i was talking about the, about this with a student earlier you're you're really good athletes are not only relatively strong generally but they're the best at contracting and relaxing the quickest. Yeah. And so you have this max contraction over on one end, and then on one end you have this maximal contraction and relaxation, um, which that stimulus is huge, and it has to be trained. So yeah, that's has all. To. Good input. Good input. Okay. Here's a good one. What is elasticity, and how do you develop it for a sprinter? I want you to take this one as well. I go first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think you might be the expert on this one. Maybe. Uh, so I'll, what, I'll tell you what I know. I'll tell you the definition of elasticity, and then you talk about how you okay. develop it. So elasticity is the connective tissues in your in your body, in mm-hmm. your muscles. Um, yes. Well, yeah. that's what – when somebody There's, says elasticity to me, I'm immediately thinking connective tissue. Yeah. Uh, not only the connective tissue that binds each muscle fiber – right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a muscle cell, yeah. but you also have the, the uh, connective tissue that binds the entire muscle itself. Mm-hmm. And then you have the connective, that connective tissue runs down the muscle or if we're talking about to its insertion. Yep. Uh, and it becomes a tendon and that yep. tendon attaches to the bone. So all of that is elasticity building. Yes. And when I view it, these connective tissues, correct. So elasticity, if you think of a rubber band, mm-hmm. It's the ability for something when it's stretched to return back to its normal length. It's pre-stretched. Correct. Length. So it's elastic, mm-hmm. very elastic, if it can stretch and then shorten. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now I defer to Christian. Sure. So there's a couple things that go into this. Obviously, the connective tissue itself. So the connective tissue itself, it has an elastic quality or elastic qualities. Um, you can do a couple things to improve those. Uh, from a lot of stuff I've read recently, it's lots of extensive jumps or low level hops. Okay. So that's one way you can really build up, uh, I got something interesting to add. Yeah. Okay. Done with this. So, uh, I do a lot of looking at, um, vertical jump stuff because of basketball and not just vertical, but horizontal, multi-directional agility is highly elastic. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So if we want and, and we want to protect those tissues and, and potentially improve their elasticity, but I'm not sure if that really happens. Uh, what may happen is that tissue gets more resilient. Okay. And it becomes less likely to be injured with higher levels of force development, oh. power development. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know if it actually becomes more elastic or it does build. So you do right. build thickness in your, those connective totally. tissues, especially in your that's, tendons. That's where I'm at. Yeah, so that thickness does a couple things. It may increase that, that elasticity, but it also increases um, the stiffness of the joint, quote unquote. Yeah. So the ability of that joint to become stiff, specifically the ankle, we'll talk a lot about the ankle with sprinting or jumping. Yep. You want that ankle to be able to become stiff very quickly so it can have the maximum amount of force transfer. Yeah. But we know it's going to stretch and we want to use that stretch to improve our force production as well. Right. How do we do that? Well, extensive hops and jumps. Yep. That it really pogos. responds well to that. Yep. Pogos. All the, yep. yep. And, and even just uh, like a, um, a low intensity squat jumps. Yeah. Low intensity squat jumps, like 40%. Um, quarter depth. It, qu quarter to full. I, this, for me, this depends on the person's ability uh, to reach. What, what depth can they reach without breaking form? Right. Okay. So if yep, somebody yep, is yep. better at, if somebody has, their movement quality allows them to go a little bit deeper, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. If they start hyperextending their lumbar spine, which we see a lot, mm -hmm. um, then I don't like that. So I'm going to have them go shallower. Okay. on those um but those extensive hops eccentric loading in the weight room eccentric loading helps improve uh connective tissue quality as well gotcha so eccentric loading would be like it kind of goes into the resiliency thing exactly yeah. exactly so you're going to build those tissues mm -hmm. um and make it you're going to allow them to accept more eccentric force or load through eccentric loading in the weight room eccentric loading on rear elevated split squats, rear foot elevated split squats, or bilateral squats, or yeah. whatever it might be. And that's just tempo, right? So right, right. four, five, six seconds on your eccentric is going to really help build those yeah. connective tissues. Yeah. Um, and then we can, I'll, I'm going to let you talk next, but then we can get into kind of this physiology of the stretch shortening cycle and how elasticity plays into that as well. Yeah, so... For me, like when I think about my first ever like plyometric training at all was in college and we would set up these, you know, like wickets, like the wicket hurdles. Yes. We, we would set those up and we would like double foot, like jump over them. Yep. Right. And uh, coach would always say, land flat footed, land flat footed, land flat footed. And I think there's some merit to this. Uh, Christian just gave me a strange look and that's okay that he might disagree. And, and I don't know if I fully agree, but this is why he said, sure. he said, when you land flat footed, your Achilles is fully stretched. And then, so you're wor working that stress sorting cycle as much as you can, instead of landing on your midfoot, letting the heel drop mm -hmm. and then reacting from there. So he wanted it to already be in that stretched position. Gotcha. Um, which there's benefits to that. There's benefits to just like naturally hopping over these things and sure. just being as quick as you can. But the stretch shortening cycle is um, these elastic elements stretching and then shortening. Mm -hmm. And there's three phases to it. Mm -hmm. There's a stretch phase, mm -hmm. which is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> there's a shortening phase, right. <laughs> which is also also uh, easy to think about. Uh -huh. And then there's the 
amortization phase, mm-hmm. which is the phase where there's no change in uh, connective tissue length. Right. Right. It's the isometric phase of it. Exactly. Yep. And it's it's typically very very. You want short. it to be as short as possible. Right. Yeah. Which is like you want it to be short as possible. So when you're training, mm-hmm. don't do jumps in the sand. Like that'll slow your amortization phase, mm-hmm. and that won't really train your stress training cycle, your rate of force development as fast as it could be when, oh my goodness, this guy will not listen to this podcast, but I'm going to talk bad about somebody really quick. <laughs> There's a strength coach at Wyoming. Uh, he wasn't with football. He was with um, some other sports on campus. And when I was with the football team, they would come into the sand pit. There's a sand pit in the weight room. Mm-hmm. And they would do like plyos in the sand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's good for like a recovery routine, maybe like late season, I think. Mm-hmm. But like if you're really trying to work on that explosiveness, that stress shortening cycle, like, dude, you got to do that on like a basketball court or mm-hmm. like a track. A hard or surface. Yeah. A hard surface that can that can take some force right. and re- give it back to you. Exactly. You know, so me and the other interns, we would always That's be That's a like, law reaction, by the way. Exactly. We got to throw physics, Newton's That's laws Newton's into this. Laws. That's Every right. reaction is equal, opposite reaction. Exactly you're, right. What, what you're putting in the ground, the ground's going to give it right exactly back to you. Right. right? Exactly. Which is why sometimes having a, this is a side note, like a soft, cushy track, it's good for like the 400 maybe, but not like the 60 mm. or like the 100. Right. So, but anyways, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, we would talk about this coach and be like, man, this guy's silly. Like, does he not know that like you're, you're slowing like your amortization phase right. and your isometric phase of the stress running cycle. And um, so I would say don't ever do plyos in sand mm-hmm. or a really soft surface because it's just not you're not going to get the full benefit. Of what do you it. think about sprint work in the sand? I've never done it. Okay. And I think if you're trying to get in shape, it's fine. Or mm-hmm. trying to like get a lot of views on Instagram. <laughs> like that's great. <laughs> Um, more of I, a conditioning tool, definitely not a speed enhancement tool. I mean, yeah, so and, and, and maybe like a, like sprinting on like a soft grass surface with like your shoes off or whatever. Right. Like those to me are like neuromuscular or neuroproprioceptive like sure. tools to like feel where your feet are in relation to the earth. Right. And like kinesthetic awareness stuff. Exactly. And, and, and in relation to like your body and your center of mass. Mm-hmm. And um, like those are like maybe tempo work mm-hmm. or stuff. But like, I mean, there's some merit there for like potentially mm-hmm. for those NFL guys that are doing drills and stuff, maybe drills and stuff, but I can't, I mean, I'm never going to do speed work in the sand because I can't go as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. I want to get the stimulus of contracting and relaxing the on and off switch with your uh, nervous system that you were talking about earlier. Right as fast as I can. And how am I going to get that in the spikes on the track, Mm -hmm. you know, or on the pavement or something like, yeah, (laughs) you know, some hard surface is going to allow force transfer to be maximal. Right. So the reason I kind of made the funny face with the land land flat footed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Not. Yeah. So it's not because I think you need to be able to have full range of motion because that's going to decrease probability of injury at the ankle. So full range of motion, you can look at it a couple different ways. But you're landing you're, dorsiflexed. Does that you're landing dorsiflexed, but not if you land flat-footed. Yeah. So you're landing your knee over your toe? No, so you can land flat-footed with your knees straight. So, so that would be neutral. 
right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. not fully dorsiflex. That's true. So, no, you're right. right. You're so right. So it's right. not full range of motion at the ankle. That's right. Um, so I guess so in in application, th- that's awesome. Um, if you're sprinting, mm-hmm. your goal is to never let your heel hit the ground. Actually, you're like right. You, you wa- go watch. You can get on YouTube and uh-huh. watch. Like every the Olympic finals, like their their full foot touches the ground. It does. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was more forefoot. Well, well, your forefoot strikes first. Sure. But then that's where the stretch shortening comes in. So it does stretch it's, out. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can pull it so up. So see, there's my ignorance when it comes to sprinting. No, 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 no. I believe you. Yeah, like a lot of people don't actually know that. Right. And I didn't realize that until like four years ago. I'm just like, oh yeah, like that makes sense because I feel that. Like, right. I mean. Your your ankles can't be that stiff that all those newtons of force right. going in the ground that you're just gonna stay on your toe the whole time. Right. You know. So the the jump kind of the the jump strength and condition coaches that I follow yeah. um have that but not dynamically. Gotcha. So they'll do um they'll say, Okay, we're going to do some slow work at full dorsiflexion. So basically get a bumper plate out, be barefoot, okay, put the ball of your foot on the bumper plate have a PVC pipe or something that you can keep your balance, yeah. right? Cause this isn't a, it's not a balance exercise. We're getting after your ankle here okay. and stiffness and mobility. So your four foot's on the, on the bumper, you're using something to maintain balance. You're doing a single foot. Okay. So okay. single. And so, and you are putting your knee out over your toe. So you're basically in an athletic position. Yep. So you're, you're hinged at your hip. Gotcha. Your knee is flexed at about a 90 degree angle. Yeah. So it's going to put it out over your toe a little bit. And you're going full depth and full extension. So full uh, dorsiflexion to full full plantar plantar flexion flexion. to really, and we're doing um, eccentrics on the way down for that to really try to build that full range of motion, but also build that tendon strength as much as we can. That's paired with extensive hops where your heel never hits the ground. Okay. So that's paired with, okay, I'm going to do these extensive hops, single or if you're, it depends on your training age or yeah. where you're at with right, your right. fitness level, probably on two feet to start for sure. And then moving up to adapting to being able to do one foot on each. Yeah. Okay. So it's the same concept. We're just doing it a little bit different. It's not yeah. an explosive movement to full flexion, but that's going to happen. Obviously, if that's happened at full sprinting, it's also going to yeah. happen on the basketball court. They're just going to land dorsiflexed and then ease into having that full foot on the ground. Yeah. So, so that's the only reason I made that different face. Different applications but for different sports. Exactly. You know, I mean, I can see the, that for basketball. I can see the application there. Because there's so much repeated jumping. Yeah. You're jumping, jumping. And a lot of times it's not maximal jump, but you're jumping. you got to get back up off the ground as quick as yeah. possible so that you want that isometric or amortization phase to be as short as possible. Because if you watch so then, basketball – the second jump usually wins. Okay. So we jump for a ball, boom, nobody gets it. Who gets off the ground quicker for the second jump? Okay. And so that's and so that happens a lot in basketball. So it's not just how high can I jump, how quickly can I get back off the ground to get the ball. So think about this for a second, because I want to challenge what you just said. Sure. You ready? Yeah. So if I'm jumping and I'm starting with my feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I have a clone next to me. They're exactly the same person as oh. me, and they're starting on their tiptoes. All right, and we go to and we go to jump. Mm-hmm. Who's gonna Who's gonna jump up? Who's gonna be able to hit their peak sooner? 
I would argue that the guy with the heels on the ground because they can they can engage right. hip extension. That's what better. I'm saying. To start, that's on the initial jump. Yeah. Well, I, for, I'm just saying, like, for to to relate to track, uh-huh. I'm kind of like saying in general right now, right? Um, or to track. So, like, if you think about like if I, if someone is in the blocks, <clears throat> excuse me, the blocks. Uh-huh. Avery, your daughter's in the blocks for the the hundred meter. If her full foot isn't pressing against the block, mm-hmm. what's going to happen when she goes to start? You're out. Yeah, it's so bad. You want that full because foot. Because her first motion mm-hmm. is going to actually be backwards to touch the block, right. and then she's going to go. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm kind of like, man, yeah, have your full foot hit the ground because then your first movement is going to be concentric going, and it's not going to be get into that position and then go or get to full stretch you, there's no eccentric anymore. It's just, it's just popping into that concentric. So, question for you on that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is because it's a great topic. I, yeah. So I don't obviously, I haven't watched sprint mechanics very it's much. It's a different world right? yeah, than so, basketball. So when you come out of the blocks, absolutely, the full foot's on. In those first few steps, right? Is the heel still hitting? No. Or is the heel so the heel is staying off after that? In acceleration. In acceleration. And that's where the joint speed, stiffness yep. comes in. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're hundred percent right in acceleration. Right. But when you're max velocity, you're gonna your foot is gonna hit and then your heel is just gonna Boom. kiss the track. Got just it. like that. I mean, and then you're using sound that full Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that allows you to use the full stretch shortening cycle then. You get right. the max stretch. And those guys that are super elastic, um, Usain Bolt. I'm just going to say it because uh-huh. everybody knows who I'm talking about. Right. Usain Bolt, super elastic. He's going to get all that kinetic energy that's built up or mm-hmm. potential energy, and it's going to become kinetic for him, and he's going to just keep going. Right. Right. So, yes, you're right because – and this is interesting. This is really interesting. So, in acceleration mechanics, when you when you see the heel collapse and the joint isn't stiff, that's when you're like, oh, that's an energy leak. Like, they're losing right. they're losing energy to push down the track. Mm-hmm. Right. There, if that's why you do these hops and different things right. to increase the joint stiffness, and that's where landing on your toes and not letting your heel collapse comes in for acceleration. Because if you don't let your heel collapse and you're very stiff, then you're going to get more return from the ground, from your joints, from your tissues to go down the track, right? Right? So, it's you want to be stiff. It's interesting, I don't know everything, but <laughs> I, what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just speaking on what I know is you want to be stiff, but like. I know for a fact your whole foot touches the ground at top, at end top speed. speed. Yep. So, so no, that's great. And that also goes to everything has to be put into proper context. Right, right, right. We have to put it into context if we're going to actually have a good conversation. Totally. So, which I totally appreciate. Right? Dude, and this is awesome. Yeah, and we talked about this in class last semester, but the differences in, in people, too, and how they express force. So I talked about the, the difference between Ja Morant Super elastic, right? Super right. springy. Yeah. And uh, what's his name from the Pelicans? Um, the two hundred eighty-five Zion. Zion. Yep. They they both generate a lot of force and can jump really high. They do it differently. Yeah. One's a power, power, power guy, and one's super elastic. Yeah. So it also depends on the athlete that oh, you're working man. with. Yeah. And there's there's which is like Donovan Mitchell or not Donovan Mitchell. Um. Uh. Let's see. Donovan um, Bailey. Back in the Donovan, uh, not Donovan Bailey. I know you showed us his race, but um, Johnson, Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson and Carl Lewis. Yep. Okay. They expressed yep. force yep. way differently. Carl Lewis was m- way more elastic, not near as much muscle, not yep. near as strong and powerful. 
but still extremely fast. Yeah. Ben Johnson looked like a bodybuilder. Yeah, and he was super, super strong. Right. Yeah. So it's like it's crazy because you get similar outcomes. Yeah. But every, people are biasing different ways to get there. Right. And and it's interesting. I can kind of – I was a very force-oriented sprinter, not elastic. Yeah, for those of you who haven't met uh, Carson, he's a strong guy. <laughs> he is not the tallest guy. He has a lot of muscle per pound of body weight. So – that's how you generated force. Right. Yeah. That was my bread and butter mm-hmm. was I was a professional accelerator or mm-hmm. well, semi-professional <laughs> amateur technically right. through NCAA. <laughs> but uh, that's how I got my scholarship was I was great at, at applying a lot of force and accelerating well and trying to hold on in my max velocity phase <laughs> of my race. <laughs> right. But there's guys, I mean, I've been watching spring so long I can pick out if I watch someone sprint one time. I'm just like, oh, yeah, they're force-oriented. Oh, oh, yeah, that guy's super, super elastic. Like, like, I mean, 99% of the teams, if you go to a track team, like, where's your triple jumpers at? Oh, those guys are really elastic. Okay, cool. Like, most of the triple jumpers will be. Right. But, oh, where's your, like, best 60 guy? Oh, he's built like me. He's, like, uh-huh. five foot nothing, got quads that can't even fit into jeans. And, yep. uh, <laughs> and they boom, because there's so much acceleration. Exactly. And for people who are listening, too, sometimes it's like, well, okay, but what's that actually mean? Um, I don't know totally how to explain it, but this helped me as I was, like, trying okay. to figure out the difference. Because you can see it. Right? So you can see it when you watch somebody sprint. Right. But how, right. Do you quali- how do you quantify that, or how do you – explain it to somebody okay and the way that i've started to it's it's helped me understand this is a lot of times when you look at world-class sprinters they'll have a very people will look at it and say like well look at their calf is up close to their knee oh yeah the length of their achilles their achilles tendon yeah yeah so the more i've looked at this and and learned about it it's like wow that achilles tendon the longer that achilles tendon is the more elastic energy it stores So for the same amount of force production, they get way more return. Return. Yeah. And so and you can't train that. That that's that, genetic. You're you're gonna your yeah, your Achilles tendons are as long as they are. Yeah. So if you don't have a really long Achilles tendon, you have to try to train in a way that allows you to to express other qualities more. Right. To overcome that. Yeah. There's a high jumper on the team. His his calves are the size of apples. Like they're they're tiny, uh-huh. but they're so muscular, and he's you know an all American eye jumper, right? And uh, like mine, I, I would say mine are normal. I don't have stovepipe calves. Mm-hmm. You know what stovepipe calves are? They go all the way down to your ankle. They're just straight. Yeah, they're like straight. there's no definition. Those so are called cankles too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have those? I think I've seen you in shorts. No, mine are about, about like that. I don't have really long Achilles, but mine yeah, are like average. Like average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, they yeah. looked great though back in the day when I used jump soles all the time. Oh, yeah. That did nothing for my On speed. JV baseball. But, yeah, State. it was amazing. I, I was like, I got the jump soles. Look at those veins running through my calves. Are you fast? No. <laughs> I got nice calves. <laughs> One more thing on this elasticity conversation is uh, have you heard of – and this will be the last thing because we're at uh, almost an hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. Time flies when I know, you're having fun. I know. Well, I, we got to explain the stretch shortening cycle real quickly to people before. I thought I did. We didn't put everything into it. We didn't give oh. all the physiology behind it. So we'll give a little physiology lesson. To finish. And then we'll, yeah, to finish okay. out. Let me say this really. Well, would you, why don't you do that real quick? Okay. And then yeah, you yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So the stretch shortening cycle, all these training methodologies we've talked about are methods. They're doing a couple things. Yes, we have the actual adaptation of the connective tissue, 
but we also have, there's two mechanoreceptors that work heavily oh, in the yeah. SSC. So yeah. we want to give a shout out to those. So one's the called homies. the muscle spindle. Okay. Yep. The muscle spindle is housed inside the muscle. Yep. That responds to short or really fast, um, lengthening of the length. muscle. Yep, yep. Changes in length. So when we apply a true plyometric is a really fast lengthening of the muscle first. That's why if somebody just jumps up and lands, that's not a plyometric. Yeah. That's, that's a confusion out in the world. People are like, Oh, I jumped. That's plyo. No, you need to land you and jump, jump again. Exactly. When yeah. you land and jump again, then you're doing plyometric training. Right. Right. And you want to do that in low volumes because you can't handle a lot of high volume with that. Yeah. So with that, uh, you are engaging your muscle spindle. Their response with a fast stretch is to have a reflex contraction. So you actually add force to your normal voluntary contraction. So you're biasing more force from the muscle. The other thing which we're fighting against is the GTO or Golgi tendon organ, which is found in the tendon. They do the opposite. So they send relaxation signal to the muscle because they don't want that tendon to tear yeah. off the bone. Yeah. So when we do these extensive jumps and little things like that, we're actually decreasing GTO input because your body, it, exactly. Right? We're inhibiting it because our body is like, oh, I've seen this before. I don't yep. need to respond by sending safety, safety mechanism, mechanism to, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. to the muscle. So that's we're in, we're decreasing GTO input, we're increasing muscle spindle, and we're incorporating connective tissue elasticity. Hence, we get more higher rate of force development, higher power output, all that. So you guys just got, so people know. You guys got that one for free too. That's a K State professor instructor. <laughs> instructor. Sorry, Thank sorry. You. <laughs> Here's the last thing I want to say. Have you heard of RSI, Reactive Strength Index, before? I have. So it's like I can't explain it to you. But so, I've heard of it. So to it's like someone does like ten pogos, like um, with a camera or some sort of like jump mat, uh-huh. and you time. It's like the ratio of time between your feet on the ground and your time in the air. Okay. Okay. Sure. So like the 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 better the more time you're in the air compared to the ground, the better your RSI. Right. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I saw something super interesting. Gonna shout out Jump Science again. He was talking about on his Instagram the other day. It was like he said, what actually can help your reactive strength index or how rapidly you can produce force? He said, because I've had cross-country runners have better RSIs. They're more reactive than football players. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't you wouldn't typically No, you'd never that. guess that. I so, wouldn't anyway. Yeah. I wouldn't talk for anybody. I wouldn't guess that. So you don't have to put that back on. It's okay. okay. Um for those that are listening, Christian just knocked off his pop screen of the mic, but that's I did. okay. Um, dude, fifty-five minutes. Um, did you want to finish RSI? That was it. That, that was it. That's yeah. all I had to say. Okay. So, but like, you can tr- test that if you get like the OnForm app on your phone. Okay. You can like figure out how, what your RSI is for free. Nice. <laughs> Instead of like having to like pay for equipment. Okay, but. you got to tell me what that is because I'm going to have that for my girls. I'm going to test RSI. Yeah, I'll girls. teach I'll show you so. right after this. Okay. Thanks so, for, Carson. Thank yo. you very much for having me on again. Yeah, absolutely. Um thanks for being on. This one was a lot of fun. Uh I apologize for those that submitted questions and we didn't get to them. Got to do it again then. Yeah, we got to hit another one soon. Uh thanks for listening guys. We'll catch you next time and peace out.